0: You ask the questions, we are here to answer them. Stay tuned. Throughout history, whenever great injustices existed, Youth movements have risen up to combat and end those injustices.
1: You have organizations out there like the Centre for Bioethical Reform. The Centre for Bioethical Reform. Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform. Organizations like the Centre for Bioethical Reform to receive public funds when they then use to attack a woman's right to choose. Abortion kills all kinds of people so then All kinds of people can join the pro-life movement to save these babies. I was talking to a young man on the streets of Toronto.
0: I spoke with a woman named Lucy about abortion.
1: Today we are doing Choice Chain in
0: downtown Regina.
1: By the end of the conversation, she was completely pro-life.
0: He then walked away 100% pro-life.
1: Completely pro-life.
0: We should remember that each of those babies that die every day in Canada
1: not only have the right to life that's being violated, they also have the right to artifacts.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. My name is Peter Boss. I am the host of the program. And with me again on the other side of the call is my good and wonderful friend
1: and co-host, Cameron Cote. How are you, sir? I am doing very well. We are well into our COVID-friendly internship right now. The interns are are rocking and rolling. They have got ton of testimonies already, which is super encouraging. They've had one full week of activism. They're starting their second week of activism right now. Life is good out here in Calgary. How are you, sir? Doing really well. Our internship in the
0: greater Toronto area has started as well. Um, And we're on the streets. We're not having conversations uh, at the time of recording, but we are going door to door, dropping off literature, just to make sure that we don't have uh, any sort of interaction with people because there still are a lot of restrictions happening in Ontario but thank the Lord the internship is going and uh, it's going in by in Calgary by, by you guys it's going in the greater greater Toronto area by us uh, and so I'm super thankful about that for those of you who are new to the show who are we we are two guys who are passionate about ending the killing of pre-born children in Canada and we've started this podcast as a way to share with you the tools, and the tactics and the conversational apologetics that you can use on the streets, you can use in your conversations with classmates and colleagues and friends and family to see them change their minds on abortion and see lives change uh, saved rather. We want to give you the tools that you need to do that, and that's what this podcast is about. And so along those lines, we've asked you to ask us questions that you might have. I'll introduce the topic in just a minute, but Cam, could you introduce for us uh maybe not introduce because we talked about it before but share with us how we can get some cool merch and become patrons of the pro-life
1: guys podcast absolutely so we we as a podcast we have this patreon page patreon.com slash prolife guys and that's where you can be financial partners with the program not only does that give you the wonderful opportunity to help Um, expand the reach of this podcast so that more and more people can come in contact with this content so they too can become effective pro-life ambassadors, changing minds, saving lives and transforming our culture. But also, like you mentioned, Peter, Peter, um, you can get some pretty sweet swag. We've got a whole bunch of new stuff coming out in the next couple of weeks here. We're super excited about, Uh, I'm going to drop the little hint that we got some t-shirts coming out. We've got some bumper stickers and a bunch of other cool content that our buddy, Matty Halleck and his contacts have put together. Um, And so you can um, be in touch for that. You can also get early access You can get full video content, more and more stuff, exclusive content that we're going to be publishing here in the next couple of weeks as well. We're going to be doing a relaunch of our, Patreon content. And so you can sign up now. You can help us reach more and more people, and you can get some pretty cool stuff along the way. And so definitely check that out and again. Patreon.com slash pro-life guys. I'm excited about those scotch, those scotch glasses.
0: Uh, they are super sharp. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh enjoying a good scotch with you, sir, with one of our scotch glasses, the Pro Life Guys Podcast Scotch glass. Anyway. Um, so one of the things we want to do on the podcast is we want to anticipate. Well, this is what we try to do: anticipate what sort of conversations you're having on the topic of abortion, what sort of abortion justifications you are hearing, what sort of you know rhetoric perhaps you're hearing or euphemisms. And what we want to do is share with you the best way that you can respond to those on the streets. So we want to anticipate some of the things that you're hearing most often, and then respond so that you can be equipped to have those good conversations. And so along those lines, we thought, you know what, <clears throat> we probably can't anticipate every conversation. We probably can't anticipate every question that you might have. So we put out a, a an option, I, I can't remember what it's called, on our story, on Instagram, on Twitter as well, um, to give you an opportunity to ask us questions so that we can Um, respond to them on the podcast, and this is what we're going to do now. So we have a a number of really, really great questions from some of you. We want to thank you so much for asking those questions, and we're going to do our best right now to answer them in the best way possible. Some of them are apologetic-focused. Some of them are more you're just curious about us um, or or curious about some of the experiences that we've had doing pro-life work. So here we go, Cam. Uh, First question we have is from Allison. Allison, thank you so much. And the question is, what
1: is your best street conversation? Boom. I, I have been so blessed to have experienced a ton of incredible, beautiful conversations. But one that always stands out in my mind, I'm sure that I've shared it, Peter, on this program before. Um, it was a conversation I had a couple of years ago with a young woman um, who was a construction worker. I talked to her late in the evening. I feel like it was like a 7.30 p.m. choice gene or something here in Calgary. She had just gotten off her construction shift. And she told me how she had had an abortion a few years uh, previous and um, she had been new to the University of Calgary. She moved into the dorm. She didn't really know anyone. She become, um, got drunk at a party and was sexually assaulted at this party, became pregnant and was just so ashamed of herself, this small town girl who had come to the big city. And within the, the first few months of her being there, she was pregnant Um, And so she didn't go to the cops, she didn't go to her parents, she didn't go to anyone other than the abortion facility. And we had an incredible, maybe 40, 45 minute conversation about where she was at, the support that she needed, all that kind of thing. By the end of the conversation, not only did she agree that abortion was a human rights violation, did she come to regret abortion? Um, And I was able to connect her with Silent No More Awareness Campaign. But also she wanted to get involved for how she could use her experience to help other people make a different decision so that they did not choose abortion for their children. Just a beautiful, beautiful conversation with a woman that I um, could not have anticipated where the conversation was going to go. And and God was so good in guiding me and her through that conversation. And now we have somebody who is pro-life, who has sought healing for her abortion decision and, and is now helping other people not choose abortion. So a pretty good one. Um, and, and that always stands out to me because I, I was terrified when I entered the conversation, I had no idea what to say. Um, when she first brought that up, but, but God is good and he, he uh, made for a wonderful conversation. So that that's one that stands out in my mind, Peter. What about you? Yeah, that's a great
0: conversation, sir. Um, and when I think about this question, it's actually pretty hard because there are so many different types of conversations. Um, I'll just share two right now. I, I may have shared them on the program before because they're the, the type of conversations that just stick out in your mind and you remember them uh, far more than all the others. I was at a high school once and I had this conversation with a, a student and he was totally against what I had to say at first, um, very opposed to the message that abortion ends the life of a human being and opposed to the fact that we were coming to his high school with images of that great injustice. But at the end of the conversation, he he had a, a complete turnaround. He fully understood where we were coming from, and he agreed with where we come, where we were coming from, so much so that he became an apologist for me at his school um, during the lunch hour that we were there. He was calling his peers and friends and telling them to come talk to me. And he's like, "Go talk to that guy. He's going to change your mind on abortion, and he, you know, he's going to have a really good conversation, and you're going to see that abortion, at, you know, ends the life of a baby." Um, which is really sweet because often you have a conversation. If you change someone's mind, they go their way. You never really see them again. But this was an opportunity. I mean, he like just totally um, flipped his position on the topic, and uh, and then pulled everyone who was willing to come to me and have that conversation, so that I could change their minds as well. So that was a pretty sweet conversation. I'll never forget that. The second one, Cam, um, was along similar lines. Uh, I talked to a an older gentleman by the name of John, and he recalled to me in the conversation through tears. He he was weeping. Um, a lot after he saw the images of what we were showing. And he recalled to me that he had uh, coerced or, or got his girlfriend or wife, I, get, I can't remember that detail at the time, 30 to 35 years ago to have two abortions. Two abortions. And he was weeping 30 to 35 years later. And he said that uh, he thought about th- that time in his life almost every single day. And he felt guilt over it every single day. And so I we went to the side, we went away from the images, we sat down for a little bit and uh, just had a conversation about the healing that was available, about the help that was available, about the support that was available, about how the feelings that he was having were not uncommon. Um, and it wasn't, you know, just sort of crazy that he was having those feelings, but it was natural in light of what abortion actually is. We talked about the hope. Uh, That wasn't Jesus. And I pointed him in the right direction. We were were able to pray together, which was wonderful. And he seemed to be doing significantly better after that conversation, probably a 30 to 35 or 40 minute conversation as well. It took a a good amount of time out of the, you know, the the choice chain display that we were having, but it was a super good and super meaningful conversation where um, this guy for so many years didn't know how to comprehend the feelings and the guilt that he had um, and we were able to work through them as we talked together. So those are two, for me, there are a lot of conversations, um, some along the same lines, some, some not, um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's what I would answer for best street conversation. So thank you so much, Allison, for asking that question. We have another one here from Dan and I'll throw it to you right away, Cam. And I'll, 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 uh, jump in if there's anything else to say after, but he's, this is what he says. He says, What's the best type of argument against people who say that we are just one-issue voters?
1: I, I I would start off, Dan, by saying that I hate being a one-issue voter. But there's a reason why I'm a one-issue voter. And what I often do to help explain why I'm a one-issue voter at this point, tragically, in Canada is... I try not to toddlers like, like Peter, you and I do constantly with our analogies in the conversations that we're having instead of talking about pre-born children because they're, they're often difficult to relate to and it's really easy to, to abstract from them and dehumanize them through that. Let's talk about toddlers. Let's talk about if in our country there were several political parties that supported killing toddlers and one political party that vaguely opposed it and allowed their members of parliament to try to prevent that from happening and at least have the conversation. Would we ever accuse somebody by uh, of being a one-issue voter when it came to whether or not we can directly and intentionally kill toddlers, largely with our tax money, um, because they're not thinking about the economy or not thinking about the environment or not thinking about other things? I I long for a day when I don't have to worry about abortion as being a a ballot issue. I long for a day in which everybody in Canada recognizes that abortion is a a human rights violation and we can start having more meaningful conversations about the economy and the environment and um, infrastructure and all, all sorts of other things. But in reality, right now, we are dealing with one of the worst human rights violations in not only our nation's history, but in human history. And because of that, we have to stay laser focused on doing everything that we possibly can to protect those preborn children. Obviously, Peter, you and I are doing as much educational work as we possibly can, but there's a lot of really good political initiatives that are working towards nominating and electing better pro-life politicians, building up ground um, grassroots support for those politicians so that they can speak with confidence. I think that this is a tragic reality here in Canada. I know that it's, it's a reality in other countries around the world, uh, most notably to the south of us, um, with a, a two-party system largely that you might not agree with a ton of other content that's, that's on um, a platform. But when you look at something as um, heinous as killing the weakest, most vulnerable members of the human family, if ever you were going to be a one-issue voter, I feel like this would be the time to be a one-issue voter, I, I guess. What do, you, what do you think? Anything you want to add? Yeah, no, I
0: I completely agree with that. Um, And and I know there's people who are against being a one-issue voter in principle, but the question I have for people is what is that one issue, right? Because um, I'm against being a one-issue voter when it comes to something, you know, frivolous, perhaps. I'm not going to say something because everything's important to someone. Um, But but we could, you know, look at something frivolous and say, um, you know what, like I, I... Someone else would say I'm not that's not frivolous. I'm a one issue voter on that. And we're like, yeah, no, but that issue, you know, is not super important in light of some of the other issues that we're dealing with. And so what is that one issue, that one issue that we're talking about today is abortion. And abortion is the direct and intentional killing of young human beings, right? Like Cam, like you mentioned, Cam, with that analogy of trotting out the toddler and saying, what if we're, what if we're taking out, you know, grade two students across the country, Um, you know, would would anyone criticize you for being a one-issue voter? Probably not, because that one issue is a human rights injustice that's ending the lives of of young human beings, which is the exact same thing that we're seeing when it comes to abortion. And so what's that one issue? That one issue is abortion. What is abortion? Abortion is the direct and intentional killing of human beings. And so we have to be as pro-lifers who are committed to ending this injustice and fighting against it and saving as many pre-born children as we can We have to be committed to voting in that way as well, um, recognizing the priority of the issue of abortion. So that's where I would come and I would use the same analogy as you, Cam. I know you can throw in many different injustices in the sort of trot out the toddler um, category and and you can use some analogies and and some thought experiments as well. Uh, But trotting out the toddler as you did uh, was a great way to respond to that, to highlight what this one issue is and why it's important for us to prioritize it over so many of the other issues that we are facing um, or just so many other things that that you know are discussed politically. So that's a great question. Thank you so much for that, Dan. I hope we answered that sufficiently for you. The next one I have here is from Aaliyah and she writes, what is, what is one piece of advice you have for newbies in CCBR and along the same lines, um, I'm thinking not just perhaps newbies at CCBR, which is the organization we work for, the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform, but also just newbies in the pro-life movement. Newbies who are going out onto the, the streets for, for perhaps the first time, engaging in conversation for perhaps the first time. What, are, what is uh, some piece, a, a piece of advice that we would give to people who are new to the movement? Cam, what's, what's one that you would say to those who are new in this. And you've worked with a lot of new people in the internships and training people across Western Canada. So what's that one piece of advice that you've given to people as they've sort of, you know, anticipated that first moment stepping onto the streets and challenging the culture with the truth about abortion?
1: One thing that I come back to time and time again is encouraging people to reflect on the outcomes of their conversations. I feel like as, as pro-lifers, we just are all about efficiency. We just want to go bang, 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 bang into conversations. And as soon as we're done, we move on to the next thing, which can be a really good thing. I mean, efficiency, effectiveness often go hand in hand, but I think that there's a, a level of effectiveness that goes deeper when we Talk about quality and not just quantity. And what I mean by that is reflecting for it might only be a couple seconds or a moment or two after your conversation, or even during your conversation about where you are seeing success and where you are struggling. I often talk with new volunteers, and the way that I present pro-life apologetics in the workshops that I'm doing now is really laying out a roadmap for your conversation. How you generally start by bridging the gap with people, talking through the common ground analogy question. and then pivoting over to the humanity of the pre-born, the human rights argument that we've talked about several times, Peter. And then if necessary, talking about the, the personhood concept of human plus X and how age-based discrimination is not better than any other kind of discrimination. If you take a moment or two after each conversation in particular and say, where did I get hung up? Where did I see success? Where did I see difficulty in my conversation? And if you realize, you know what, I keep getting stuck not the humanity of the preborn because I, I keep forgetting to talk about the human rights argument. Or, you know, I, I'm a master of the human rights argument. Once I get to the humanity of the preborn it, it's shooting fish in a barrel, but I have a hard time getting there because I'm struggling with bridging the gap. Understand where your strengths and weaknesses are and ask for help. Ask for help from the leader of your community group. Ask for help from Peter and I um, or, or other people that you trust and that you value their wisdom in the movement Because this should be a gradual growth through your your first 10, 20, 100, 200, 500 conversations. You should always be looking for opportunities to improve. Yes, it's wonderful that you're out there. Yes, holding a picture of a child killed by abortion is going to resonate in the hearts and minds of tons of people. It's going to be a pebble in their shoe, and that's great but if you're reflecting on the outcomes and where you're having difficulty you're only going to grow as an advocate and so that that's what i generally say peter to people what do you got for them
0: that's great and and you touched on the pebble in someone's shoe and that's probably the one piece of advice that i would like to give i'm the type of person who likes to have a conversation and win the argu or, and win the argument you know you watch those youtube videos and and the title is like so and so destroys leftist or whatever it might be um I like, I like that. That resonates with me. I want to destroy someone's argument, just totally take it down, dissect it completely and and show them that just the ridiculousness of the position that they held. Um, But as we've talked about in the past, that's not the sort of conversation we're having on the streets. Our goal is to win people. Our goal is to, to see people turn from abortion, to see them actually change their minds, not to perpetuate the belief that people are never going to change their minds on the topic of abortion because it's so controversial and everyone's set in their beliefs. But to, that's, to, we highlight from our experience and the experience of those we've worked with that you actually can change someone's mind. Now, on the topic of putting a pebble in someone's shoe, that's a an idea and a concept that Greg Kokel put forward in his book, Tactics, which uh, he talks about just how to, um, witness your, your Christian faith to those around you. And the idea is that you're not just changing someone's mind, but you're challenging them in such a way that you've kind of like put a pebble in their shoe. You've, you've given them a little bit of discomfort that they, they have to deal with. They have to think about. They have to face um, even after they leave the conversation. Now, some of the pebbles that we put in people's shoes could be the abortion victim photography that we show. It could be a question where we we trot out the toddler and kind of Show the, the similarities between the preborn children and the born, and ask why there should be a difference. It, sh- it could be the question, you know, don't you think that all humans should get human rights? And how can you, how can you believe that um, and support abortion, which ends the lives of human beings? So, we want to change someone's mind. We want every conversation to be 100% switch, 100% turn around. That person completely agrees with us. They're completely pro life now. They were totally pro choice and a pro abortion before now they're with us but what you want to do is just take that pressure off of you as you go in conversations be faithful in, in those conversations be nice and kind and gentle within those conversations knowing that so many people that we have conversations with are dealing with the trauma and the effects of abortion and uh and and ask those challenging questions reference the image that you're holding that you're showing and ask them what they think about abortion, and then leave the conversation in God's hands as he often works in their mind once the conversation is over. Uh, we have stories where we've gone back to high schools, we've gone back to universities, had conversations with the same people we had weeks ago or months ago, only to find out that they changed their mind during that period. Not in conversation with us, but because they left the conversation with that pebble in their shoe, that that challenging question, the image of what abortion was, the kindness that the pro-lifer uh, showed to them. And over time they changed their position because they couldn't they couldn't see that image and see what abortion was and at the same time support abortion. And so they had to work through that. They had to work through that by themselves. Um, they had to work through that in their own mind. Um, and so take, take away the pressure of changing everyone's mind and go there uh, trying to put a pebble in someone's shoe and then leave the conversation in god's hands so that's what i would have to say about that um cam i don't know if you have anything else to add to that that that's come to your mind or if i'm good to jump to the next question
1: no let's hit the next one let's get through as many of these as we can here sounds good
0: all right we have a question from maria and this is what she asks do you have any tips on improving volunteer recruitment for a pro-life group this is a great question We work with uh, pro-life groups across the country, whether they be university pro-life clubs or just other against abortion groups within local communities. And this is one of those questions that a lot of them deal with, is how do we improve our volunteer recruitment? How do we get more and more people volunteering with us, more and more people standing with us on the street corners, going door to door, uh, being a defense for the defenseless and a voice for those who have none. So Cam, what are some tips that you might have for improving volunteer recruitment?
1: Boom. I got three tips um, that I'll, I'll crush into right now. A lot of them, or all three of them, have been really developed by my colleague, Kwayana. She was actually our second or third guest on Humans of the Pro-Life Movement. She's our new volunteer coordinator here in Calgary. And she's been piloting some really, really cool developments. First is clarity. I think that often pro-life groups, like other groups out there, don't have any degree of clarity as to what a new volunteer is going to be doing, what they're getting themselves into, what kind of time commitment they're talking about. And I feel like that can be really daunting for a lot of volunteers, not really knowing what's expected of them, because people are busy. People in the pro-life movement, um, from my experience, are wonderful, faithful active people who are probably involved in their church, probably involved in other ministries as well. And I feel like by being clear about what is expected of them, how often are you out for activism? How often are you hoping that they'll be able to come out? That kind of thing, giving them some degree of clarity and expectation can really help them understand how this is going to fit into their daily schedule. Number two, be bold. I, I feel like, Peter, you and I, I'm sure that we've seen this not only through internships, but through all of our activism. We can be very kind of, we, we call it modest or humble, but I, I feel like it's not actually genuine modesty or humility when we undersell the impact of what we're doing. And what I mean by that is people want to know that what they're doing is making a difference. People want to know, that, I mean, there's so many different things that are, are calling for people's time and energy. And if we don't boldly share the goodness and the beauty of the work that we're doing, um, and what they might actually witness, I mean, not, not over-exaggerating or lying about they're going to change everybody's mind on abortion, but if if you put pro-life outreach side by side with another noble and good ministry, like a soup kitchen sort of thing, if you if you volunteer for an hour at a soup kitchen, you might feed 50 people, and that's going to feel really good. And that's a really concrete outcome from your time. If you feel like you're doing pro-life outreach and there's no tangible or concrete results from what you're doing... You're probably going to prioritize something that you know is having an impact. And so if you can share with them, you know what our most volunteers see people change their mind on a regular basis. And they put a lot of pebbles in people's shoes and you can reach X number of people in an hourly activism or some kind of quantifiable concrete impact that they can have. I think that's going to go a long ways in recruiting people because it's no longer a vague, oh, I just do pro-life stuff because it's expected of me as a Christian, but rather my one hour, my two hours of of engagement per week is going to translate, Lord willing, into these sorts of numbers. The third and final thing that I'll mention, Peter, before I let you dive in um, is make things manageable for them. Make sure that your training and onboarding is actually going to set them up for success. I feel like for a long time, unfortunately, we at CCBR, largely my fault, actually, we were too quick trying to throw people out on street corners with signs. They'd get an hour and a half or two hour workshop that was just loaded up with, with, um, with content. And then we'd say, okay, feel good. Yep. Awesome. Go save some babies. Here's your sign. If you have any questions, walk over to this other street corner where I'm going to be at and let me know. Um, And that can be really daunting. And people would often plateau. They'd have some good conversations, some bad conversations, but they plateau very early. I want to suggest a manageable sort of thing where they get to what we're doing here in Calgary is that we're doing a lot more door knocking. Um, initially, and so you get a training workshop and then you join for some door knocking and just listen to an experienced person such as myself, have five or 10 or 20 conversations, hear how I implement these conversation skills in reality. And then you start doing it with a safety net of me right there beside you. And then once you're comfortable, we move into more and more independent outreach, whether you're doing door knocking, even if you're just doing choice change, just saying, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice a little bit of my efficiency right now by saying only one of the two of us are ever going to have a conversation. If I'm in a conversation, you just straight listen, you're not eavesdropping, you're not pretending that you're not listening. You're just going to be standing right there listening to everything that I say if you're in a conversation, I'm going to be standing there listening to everything that you say. We're going to do some debrief after each conversation, then dive into the next one. Making sure that people are on a good trajectory of growth through your onboarding plan. I feel like those three tools of clarity, boldness, and manageability, I'm sure there's a better word than manageability, but those are the three that spring to my mind. Peter, what do you think?
0: I just want to highlight, um, when I first got involved, I stood behind, beside a former colleague of ours and listen to her have conversations. And that helped me tremendously. Uh, and so I, I really re- uh, resonate with that, um, not just getting thrown out on the streets and, and hope you do well, pebble in someone's shoe, you're good to go, um, but really trying to grow as a pro-life activist by standing beside someone. So that helped me a lot. And, and I'm still here today. I was 2014, I believe, when that first happened. So uh, some time has passed between then and now. The one thing I would say, and I'll say it briefly, is just have consistency with outreach. Uh, I I haven't run a pro life group uh, in a community for a long time, and I only did for a brief stint where I where I lived. Um, but one of the things I've heard and, and discovered is that when you have consistency of activism, those activists and volunteers who, you know, they don't really have um, a lot of time to to spend to volunteer, will just know when you're going to be out and be able to schedule around that. Most pro-life groups that I know of have the diehards. They'll, they'll change their schedule for every instance of outreach that they have the opportunity to do. But most people don't, right? Like as Cam mentioned, uh, most of us have schedules and families and and church uh, responsibilities and community responsibilities and you name it, um, there are countless responsibilities. So just having that consistency, all the, all the activists know, all the volunteers know that every Saturday morning you're going to be out in the streets. Every Thursday night you're going to be going door to door. That will just give people the ability to schedule better and in, 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 in advance, knowing when exactly you will be out. So that's uh, something I have. I hope that helps Maria. And uh, if, you, uh, if, you have any, if you have any more questions, you can reach out to us. You know how to do that on our website, ProLifeGuys.com or through our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or wherever you do your social media, just find the Pro Life Guys podcast. All right. Next question we have is from Loren. And Loren asks, "How has COVID affected your pro-life messaging, Cam? We've talked. I know we've talked about it in the past. Uh, how we could sort of implement sort of COVID messaging within our own messaging, but uh, has COVID affected our pro-life messaging? And uh, and ha- if so, like what does it look like? And if not, why not?"
1: So I, I'd say that it hasn't impacted our messaging per se tremendously. I, I think that. The fact that abortion still kills an innocent human being um, isn't greatly impacted by the, the COVID pandemic we're dealing with. Like I obviously it has drastically impacted our outreach, but I don't think it's impacted our messaging tremendously, though, as you kind of alluded to, Peter, I use it in, in analogies at times, especially when I'm talking about bodily autonomy and whether or not we have absolute bodily autonomy. We can do whatever we want with our bodies and, and I'll convey it along these lines of like, regardless of where you're at on lockdowns or masking or whatever, could we agree that if you test positive for, for COVID, if you're exhibiting symptoms, you shouldn't go around licking people? I mean, I, I would argue that you shouldn't go around licking people regardless, but certainly in that situation, you shouldn't go around licking people and... I I use that as an analogy to kind of convey that we don't have absolute control. It's not a matter of I can do anything that I want with my body. No, you you can do a lot of things with your body. But as soon as your actions or decisions start harming other people in a very direct and very um, grave manner, those absolutely have to be put in check. And so I've integrated into conversations at times, Peter, I'm sure that you have as well. But yeah, I can't say that it's drastically impacted our, our overall message, though it has, uh, again, like really shifted our, our focus. Obviously, we, we launched this podcast and um, we've been trying to equip more and more people via virtual webinars and, and workshops and all that kind of stuff. But any, any other ways, Peter, that, that you're finding that you're kind of changing the way you have conversations based on the, the COVID situation we're dealing with? I would
0: say something very similar, probably. It hasn't changed the messaging, but it has sort of given me an analogy to use in conversations. Um, And that's something I try to do when there's when there's an event happening, a current event, wherever it might be that that's well known and people have some sort of passion for uh, try to use that event from time to time. Not all the time. I don't think it's it's always wise to compare every single injustice to abortion and say we, you know. You you should actually care about abortion more than you care about this other injustice that's happening. Um, You know, we ought to care about injustices that are happening. But COVID is one of those examples that everyone knows about it. Everyone hears about it on a daily basis. Most people at this point know someone who's had COVID. And and everyone has an opinion on the restrictions that we are facing. Whether you love them or hate them or think, uh, you know, they're justified in some limitation. What I've had, Cam, in conversation is... Um, when I sort of have an idea that the person in front of me might agree to some of the restrictions that we're dealing with, um, I'll just ask them why they agree with those restrictions. And the answer usually is along the lines of what we're doing is we're limiting our own freedom so that others who are in a more vulnerable position won't, you know, get COVID as fast or. Um, will hopefully not get COVID as at all. And so it's a way for us to minimize their suffering and to protect them because they're in a vulnerable state. And so one of the principles that I can get from that is, is just the understanding that they're willing to sacrifice, at least in principle, for others when others are in a more vulnerable position. And the same thing along the bodily autonomy line. So if we're going to do that for vulnerable people who are born, why should we not do that for vulnerable people who are not yet born, but living just as much. And, uh, and so it's been helpful in analogies like that, but I have to agree with you, it hasn't really changed the messaging at all. Uh, the messaging that, you know, if all, if all of us believe that human beings should get the human right to life, and if the, human, the pre-born human beings are human because of their parents, and if they're growing and alive, then abortion is a human rights violation. So it hasn't really changed the core of our messaging at all. So thank you, Loren, for that question. Um, it's a, a very good one. And and it is something that we did talk about as an organization to see if we could use it, if it would affect our messaging in any way. So uh, certainly a relevant point. So thank you for that. Next question is from Allison. And she asks, what is the weirdest justification for abortion that you have ever heard cam you've done i mean you say ten thousand conversations i think it's more Uh, i think you're you're being humble and giving us a conservative number so you've you've had a lot of conversations i've had a good amount of conversations not quite so many and we have heard some pretty strange justifications what is probably the weirdest justification that you can remember having in a conversation
1: so a couple that spring to mind, and and I feel like they're they're tied together under this kind of like quasi Eastern religion kind of vibe. That uh, for whatever reason, a lot of wealthy Westerners are super into Eastern religions and whatnot. And so these are conversations that I've had with a couple of business people downtown Calgary who tried to convey some like they they kind of cited it as Buddhism. I, I think it's a long ways away from what any Buddhist would claim to be any legit Buddhist would claim to be Buddhist. Um, But, but this idea of like, Oh, well, we're all one in the universe. It's just one big life force. Therefore the, the force that is compelling me to have an abortion is just like, it's out of my hands. It is some kind of pantheism life force that is acting through me towards another part of itself. If we're all connected, if we're all part of the same single life force, then this is one life force chopping off a part of itself kind of thing. It's kind of like the life force is clipping its fingernails kind of thing. Um pretty psychedelic. And I wish that I could say to the person that was conveying this um was high under their mind, but they were definitely on their lunch break from a very, very swanky office job, um, in Calgary. And and like this person talked about it for like 20 minutes, like, like they were not making it up. It it wasn't jerking my chain. They were serious about this. And so that was pretty wonky. And, and obviously the, the natural response is just trotting out the toddler of like, okay, well, would we ever say that about killing a born kid? And, And I ended up bringing it all the way back to like, dude, if I steal your wallet, is that just the universe, like borrowing money from itself? like can i just have access to your bank account because i'm sure that you're making way more money uh working downtown in the swanky office building than i am working for a non-profit um if we're all one let's just join accounts sort of thing and and i can tap into whatever resources you've got so that was kind of weird i've also had a ton of people try to convey some quasi vibe of karma of like you know what just let the universe sort it all out um if, if, if it was wrong, then like something bad will end up happening to me or this other person. I I had one person literally say like, you know what, if, if abortion was the wrong decision, then like, whatever, karma is going to get me back. My dog's going to get hit or something like that. And I was like, really, you're going to say that karma isn't evil. Like that's, that's, I don't believe in karma, obviously, but to say that karma is going to get you back by not actually getting you back, but By getting your dog back like like that's pretty out there sort of thing yeah if you kill your child then karma is going to get you back by killing your dog no i i don't think that anyone who actually believes in karma thinks that that's how karma works let alone that's not how karma works, because karma is not a thing. So I, I find it fascinating people who try to cite this kind of quasi Eastern religion kind of stuff. Peter, what do you think? What what kind of weird stuff have you heard in your in conversations that you've had and that kind of thing? the The
0: one that really sticks out in my mind is a a young guy. He had his family; they were just going for a stroll. That I talked to in downtown Hamilton, and talk, asked him about abortion, and he was completely convinced that. The preborn child was actually a part of the woman, and, and so now that might not seem that strange. We often hear the "My body, my choice argument, but when I hear the my body, my choice argument, very, very, very rarely do people say, "Yes, that body, like the body of your preborn child is literally my body." Um, it's more along the lines of like, you know th- this this child is within me, um, and be you know I have this ownership over this child that I'm allowed to do with it." as I please, because uh, my body is affected in such a significant way. I'm feeding this child and, and so on and so forth. But this guy was like, no, I mean, this this baby is a part of, of the of the woman. And just so I, I wanted to clarify. So I asked, you know, does that mean that she has both a, a penis and a vagina and not a word of a lie? He, he looked at me straight face, was completely serious. I believe he was serious by the way we were having this conversation. He said, yes, yes, she has four legs. She has four arms. She has two hearts. She has both a penis and a vagina if uh, her child's a male child. And um, he was just dead set like this. You know, this is legitimately the same as like you mentioned, Cam, clipping your fingernails uh, or or having some other procedure that's that's, you know, more medical in nature. Because this I mean, this child is is just one in the same with the mother. And I can't remember exactly how I, I had that conversation. It was quite a while ago but just thinking about this strangeness of that um like what is birth um you know is it, we we talked with Laura Clausen, i think it was on episode 11 and she had done a a video uh called the magical birth canal where like there's this baby going through this magical birth canal it's not a baby not a baby not a baby poof out it comes she's a baby um like how does this actually work if we think about it deeply and uh that was that was one of those weird justifications every once in a while you have those conversations where someone says something that totally just blows you away, not because it's so smart and because they thought through it so deeply, but because it's like, how can a, how can you think about like, how do, how do you believe this? Um, like, what sort of justification is this? Um, anyway, that's one of the strange ones that I've had. So thank you, Allison, for that question. The next question we have here is a great one. I think I will answer it. And everyone will understand why I will answer it once I ask this question. Uh, so thank you so much for asking it. And this is the question: who is the better looking co-host? Now, this is a this is a really, really great question, one that I'm very passionate about actually. Uh, and, and Cam has his mic muted at the moment, thankfully. Um, I think about a, a passage in, <laughs> sorry, Cam. Um, I, <laughs> I think about a passage in in Proverbs sixteen thirty one, the book of wisdom in, in our scriptures. And it, this is the passage. It says, gray hair is a crown of, of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. And if you look at our wonderful friend and our wonderful co-host, Cam here, and you see his, his wonderful gray hair. He's not even, you know, he's just a few years older than I am. But um, really, really, it's a, you know, a sign of a righteous life and a real crown of glory. And it would be impossible for me to say that uh, that I am a better looking co-host when we take a good look at Cam. So thank you so much for that question, Cam. You probably have nothing to add to that.
1: I, I will clarify that there is actually only one co-host. Peter is the host and, and he is clearly the better looking host, um, but I, I will take the mantle of better looking co-host in that there's only the one of me. And so thank you, Peter. Your words are kind, um, but I think everyone can can come to their own conclusions on their own. No further comments necessary. I don't think. I, I've heard, yeah, I'm actually making this up, but uh, I'm sure many
0: people watch our YouTube videos because not because of my face, which is made for radio, but because of yours. So, um thank you for everyone to watching us on YouTube for hitting that subscribe button as a uh as a thanks in a in a way to um be able to watch Cam as he gives us so much good content on the program. So thank you so much for that question. The next question we have here, I think we might have answered it in the past, but I'll ask it again. Uh and it is what sparked your decision to make a podcast? This was by Ali. So Cam, could you uh could you touch on this? What sparked our decision? To make this podcast,
1: yeah, so I, I kept giving these like four and a half hour long workshops, and people kept walking out halfway through. And I figured, you know, the best way to get them to to consume all the content is for them to be able to hit pause on my voice and come back to it after they've um, recovered or or have woken up or whatever. No, um, in all seriousness, Peter, you and I started having conversations. Um, really at the beginning of the the pandemic, I guess, uh, we, we had been getting requests about more recorded content, more in-depth content and whatnot for several years, um, I'm sure far longer than that. But for the longest time, our, our focus was solely on street activism or very, very much the, the high priority was street activism. And so we hadn't really prioritized doing recorded content, and yet, um, with the pandemic, we realized that not only did we have an opportunity now to record a bunch of content that people could consume at their leisure, um, but also that there was a, a desperate need for that, really, that, um, that without our intern teams and volunteer teams across the country on street corners and on doorsteps, we were going to be missing a tremendous number of people um, because we could no longer reach them. And and with the financial strain and general um, insecurity and all that kind of stuff, we were anticipating a massive spike in um, abortions because of that fear from a lot of people. And so we figured that this might be a a really good way to equip a, a whole new demographic of people with the tools that they need to have conversations with their friends and family members. Because they were still in close contact with them, but they were no longer at public universities or busy downtown corridors and that kind of thing um and so I, I joke about never having enough time to to get through everything. I'm sure people have witnessed that on the podcast, possibly even today. Uh, we like to ramble, myself especially, but believe it or not, there has been some degree of demand for this kind of content. And we thank each and every one of you, our listeners, for tuning in, um, especially our faithful listeners who have tuned in episode after episode. And so that, that's what springs to my mind as to why we have started this podcast. Peter, I'm sure there, there's things that you could add as well, um, but maybe as you add that, I'll actually throw you a question for a change, um, a question from Aliyah. and so maybe you can tie in a little bit more thoughts on what got us going on the podcast, but then what are our plans for future work for the podcast? Uh, what are we working on? What's coming down the tube? What are we excited about? Hit us on both of those two angles.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So when I think about the way that I consume content, I really enjoy going to live events. I like going to training sessions. I like hearing speakers speak, uh, especially high profile ones, but I don't always have the time. I don't always have the Friday or or Saturday evening to attend one of these events. And so when I think about the way I consume content, Cam, uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of like, YouTube videos are one thing and I enjoy them, but I I drive a little bit and I I listen to podcasts when I do dishes and and a whole bunch of other house things. I just enjoy listening to podcasts. That's one of the ways that I get my content. I I, and I listen to a a variety of podcasts, but that's that's one of the things as well. I mean, as an organization, we, as you mentioned, are very focused on street activism, but we've also become a sort of, you know, training organization, an organization that trains the local groups, that trains the local activists, that trains the university clubs to have these good conversations. Based on, you know, the experience that we've had in the conversations that we've been able to have over the last decade. And so we wanted to take all of those things that we've learned and bring it to a whole new medium, which is the podcast world, as Cam mentioned. Um, and, and we're really thankful that we have heard some good feedback. We've received some good feedback. And uh, and you guys seem to like our content. So that's one of those things that motivates us to continue now. On Aliyah's question, what are some of our plans for the future? We have some big plans actually, uh, some which I'll say, and some which you know we're still working through some of the details and and they're just in sort of the brainstorm phase., uh, but one of them that what I'm really excited for is we're, we where we want to have a roundtable discussion with some leaders. And so um we have a roundtable discussion coming up in July, and that is going to be with our colleague Jonathan van Maren and uh, a good friend of ours and, and pro-life hero, really, Scott Klusendorf. So the four of us are going to sit down. It'll be virtual. Unfortunately, one day we're going to be in the same room and we're going to you know, have the video cameras around us and record some great content that way. But now it's going to be virtual and we're just going to have a, a conversation. Now, often on the podcast, we have a, a focused conversation on a focused and specific topic. This will be more light in a way um you know just to learn more about who these activists are who these pro-life heroes are some of the work that they're doing and just have a good time over a scotch and a cigar so i'm really looking forward to that we have other roundtable discussions uh being planned as well so hopefully we'll have a few of them throughout the year um so that's one of the things we have another cam referenced a little bit earlier is the merch we're currently in the design stage for some really cool merch merch that i would wear so i'm pretty picky with what i would wear when it comes to shirts Um, sometimes I, I, I'm picky when it comes to like someone else's brand. Um, if it looks ugly, even if I like it, I'm I'm probably not going to wear it. So I'm pretty picky. I want to make sure our brand looks good when it comes out. And I'm excited about some of the merch that's coming out. So, um, be it t-shirts, be it scotch glasses, um, some cool laptop and bumper stickers and a few other things as well. We are going to have some merch coming out, some pro-life guys, podcast merchandise. So stay tuned for that. Really looking forward to it. We're also looking for new opportunities to broadcast. Um, So one of the things we've discussed is is going on the radio, um, reaching out to different radio programs and seeing what it would be like for us to do a 30 minute segment a week uh, or something like that. We're working currently on short shareable videos. So if you go to our YouTube channel, um, you'll see a highlights playlist. And on this highlights playlist, you'll see just short two to seven or eight minute videos from some of the conversations we've had. So we had a conversation, for example, a few weeks ago, two weeks ago now, with Alison Santafonte from Live Action about the abortion pill. She had some great, great, great content in there. Now, some of us don't wanna listen to the hour-long episode, and so what we've done is we're cutting out some of the highlights, some of the themes from it, and just providing those shareable videos so that you can watch them, you can share uh, key information about the things that we've learned to those around you as well. And then along the same lines, we're always thinking about new series that we can come out with. We, we've, we've come out with The Pulse, which is a monthly episode where we round up abortion-related news from around the world and share it to you from a pro-life perspective with some pro-life commentary. We have Humans of the Pro-Life Movement where we try to highlight some of the activists uh, who are doing some really, really great work on the streets and who are the unsung heroes. They're not receiving recognition or notoriety for the things that they're doing, but they're doing it because they recognize the injustice. They don't want people to see what they're doing. They don't need that. They're doing it to have those conversations, one conversation after another, one changed mind after another, and one baby saved after another. So we wanna highlight those people on Humans of the Pro-Life Movement. But if you have new ideas for us for series, we have a few that might be percolating in our minds at the moment, but if you have others as well, where you think, hey, this sort of content would be helpful, this sort of series would be helpful, this sort of, you know, whatever it might be, topic that you could touch on or series that you could focus on would be helpful, do reach out to us because we would love to hear it. Because we are always looking for new ideas, not just to, not just to bring new content for content's sake, but to inspire, to encourage, to equip, to activate, to motivate to get people on the streets so that more and more people are having conversations, more and more minds across Canada and the world are being saved and more babies, uh, being changed and more babies are being saved. So those are a few things we're working towards. Cam, I don't know if you want to touch on anything perhaps clarify some things or, or maybe there's something I've missed.
1: Yeah. One thing that I'll clarify, which I think makes it even more exciting. So you mentioned this roundtable that we have coming up with Jonathan van Meren and Scott Klusendorf, two great friends, of the program. This is not just going to be me and Peter sitting around talking to them, pre-recording it and publishing it. Like we've done a couple interviews like that, which I think are really, really neat. We did the uh, two part series with, with Jonathan and Neve Ibrine. Um, from ireland that which was kind of a round table this is going to be a live attendee guided event that, that you guys are going to be on this video call with us and you'll be able to ask your questions towards scott or jonathan or myself or peter kind of thing we'll have a few like guiding questions in case you guys are just so in awe of scott and jonathan that no questions are coming up but this is actually going to be a live event that you guys were able to participate in which i hope will be really really exciting for you and then along the lines peter i'll I'll just kind of plant the seed for a couple of these idea programs that we've been percolating on um we've talked about doing a, a story time with the guys where um, it's just stories from the street. I, people love to hear cool stories of changed minds. They like to hear funny stories of weird interactions. They love to hear behind the scenes kind of stuff. So we're going to do a series like that that's a little bit more, um, not, not as essential, I don't think, as the apologetics, more of an interest kind of guided one. And then another program that we've talked about is called um, Let's Fix the Internet um there's a ton of nonsense that gets published on the internet day after day about misconceptions, misunderstandings, full-blown lies, all sorts of things. We've done a few episodes like that on the on the show. Um one of the recent episodes on planned parenthood's most common uh, most viewed video on YouTube but we'd love to do more short episode content responding to different Twitter posts or Instagram content, things like that. We just kind of break it down. We fix the internet because there's a lot of problems, obviously, on the internet. So that's a few of our ideas. Um, But I definitely want to, I can't speak highly enough of, of this roundtable coming up because you're going to get straight access to two of the coolest people that we've had the opportunity to work with. I know that I've read, all of Scott Klusendorf's books, he's been a, a major influence in my life. And, and I'm really excited, not only for me to get to talk to him again, but for you guys to talk with him as well. And so those are the only two things that I'll add. Peter, I think we got one more question here before we're going to wrap up. Um, yes. But yeah, that, that's it for me. Okay, sweet. Yeah, no, I just looked at the
0: time and we were close to the hour mark. So we have to wrap up Um, and we will do this again because this is great. Anyway, one last question, and that is on the topic of overpopulation and how to answer that in a detailed way. Now, I love this question. Uh, It is actually a topic that we've touched on before. So I'm going to point you to the episode is episode nine with the title, Does Overpopulation Justify Abortion? Where we dive in deep to where the overpopulation argument came from, what it is, and how we can respond to that when we're in conversation. Cam, I don't know if you want to just give a brief synopsis of what we talked about on the episode, um, but, but if you want to check that episode out, Aaliyah, uh, that's where you can find a far more in-depth analysis on that argument. Uh, but Cam, just, just give us a little bit of a uh, kind of a, just a summary of how you would respond to that on the streets.
1: Absolutely. Well, I mean, first of all, obviously, one, no, uh, overpopulation does not justify (laughs) abortion. Two ways that you can you can kind of help them understand that sometimes they'll say, uh, we need to prevent more people coming into the world. That's a conversation about the humanity of the preborn to demonstrate that they're already in the world. Peter, you mentioned that uh, magical birth canal video. Abortion doesn't prevent somebody from entering into the world any more than um, slaughtering high school students prevents people from coming into the quote-unquote real world. Mm-hmm. You're in the world already. You already exist after the moment of fertilization. This is not about preventing people from coming into the world. It's killing some of the weakest, most vulnerable people who are already in the world. Second thing that I'll mention, I sometimes I spin it on people and say, okay, well, wouldn't it make the most socioeconomic sense if we were to kill the people who consume the most but produce the least. And and generally people nod along They're like, yeah, we, we don't want freeloaders. We don't want people who are eating up all of these resources when other people who are working hard don't have the resources. And I say, okay, well, let's consider somebody in university or college. They are consuming an awful lot, whether on their parents' bill or whether on the state's bill, whether they're on student loans, whether they are simply benefiting from heavily subsidized education, which is available in Canada and around the world. Um, These people are consuming an awful lot. And at this point in their life, they are not producing very much at all. They are producing some very bad philosophical arguments. They're producing some very terrible Friday night parties and questionable music and all sorts of other decisions. Um, If we were going to kill anybody, wouldn't it make sense to kill those people? Obviously, I'm not advocating that we kill college students or university students or whatever. But I think that it puts in perspective, why are we going to kill somebody who's very small, weak, vulnerable, really isn't consuming very much? if we're not even willing to kill somebody who is very large, consuming an awful lot and not producing anything. Um, This doesn't even go into whether it's the homeless, whether it's the unemployed, whether it's other people. I go straight for the jugular, go straight to college students, because usually the people who are asking this question are themselves college students. And so um, I'll go that direction. And Um, it's not worth getting into a conversation as to how many people do we need to kill? How much um, population control do we need to do? um, Because at the end of the day, that's not the question, right? This isn't about resource management or anything like that. It's about whether or not we view these humans as equal to ourselves. And so that's where I'd go, Peter, three things. No, it doesn't justify it. They're already in the world and we don't kill people who consume a lot um, and produce very little, let alone those who consume basically nothing while not producing tremendous amount. We don't get human rights because of what we do or what we produce. We get human rights because we're human. The end.
0: Bam. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Thank you, sir, for giving that. But for uh, a more in-depth uh, analysis and discussion on that, check out episode number nine, Does Overpopulation Justify Abortion? Well, everyone, we are about to wrap up this episode. Thank you so much for your questions. And I just wanted to share, you know, a lot of these questions came from me sort of instigating it on, on social media. But if you have any question that you are curious about, about the Pro-Life Guys, about our experience, about how to answer different uh, you know, justifications like this last one here or about anything else, do not hesitate to reach out to us. You can do that by contacting us through the contact form on our website, www.prolifeguys.com. You can find the Pro-Life Guys podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Gab, Mewe. Uh, you can watch us on YouTube and leave us a comment. We check those as well. But don't hesitate to reach out to us if you have any questions, and we would be thrilled. We would love to answer it um, because this is what we do, and uh, and we enjoy doing this. So thank you so much for the questions that you've given. Don't hesitate to reach out. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube or subscribe to the Pro-Life Guys podcast on your favorite podcast. Catcher, don't forget to share the podcast with your friends. And I just want to highlight if you're listening to this and you didn't catch the last two episodes, they were extremely important. We talked to, as I mentioned, Allison Santafonte from Live Action about the abortion pill, all about the abortion pill, what the, what's important for us to know when we're in conversations on the streets. That's episode number 43. In episode 44, we had a conversation with Dr. Matthew Harrison from abortionpillreversal.com. He was one of the doctors behind the abortion pill reversal procedure. Now, the abortion pill, as we learned, is is two pills. You take one, then you take the other a short time later. But after taking the first pill, there is still time to save your baby. And that is something that Dr. Matthew Harrison, um, you know, with some of his colleagues, uh, put together and are now pushing and promoting as a way to protect and to save the lives of pre-born children uh, as they're in the process of dying through the abortion pill. This is extremely helpful content, extremely important content to know when we're on the streets because the abortion pill uh, is being used far more now than it was five years ago, a decade ago. Um, and people are, are ending the lives of their children now through the abortion pill. We need to be aware of it. We need to know how it works and we need to know how it can be reversed. So go check out those episodes on your podcast favorite podcast catcher or on YouTube. That's episode 43 and 44. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. We, uh, as we mentioned earlier, we love doing this. We love doing it because you seem to enjoy the content. So thank you so much for that. We are humbled that you continue to listen and extremely thankful. And uh, we hope you tune in again in again next week. God bless you all.